Okay, Maggie, thank you and the kids for leading us this morning. Jack and worship team, thank you. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come together this morning. We're gathered on TVs and computers and phones around the city, but around um, other areas in this world too. And we thank you for that, for the um, privilege we have together as your people. Father, we come together and we know that this Holy Week will be different from other Holy Weeks, but we know that you are the same. You are the King. You have not changed. You will not change. And so we come and ask that you will minister to each one of us right where we find ourselves today. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You know, Rarely in our lifetimes have we been so focused on one thing like we are right now, COVID-19, coronavirus. Our whole lives have changed because of it. I don't have to make the case for you. Here I am preaching to an empty room with cameras in it, and you are seated wherever you are. And each of us is living it out right now in countless ways. You know, 2,000 years ago, it seems that all of the city of Jerusalem was focused on one thing also. They were focused on Jesus. If we just take the last number of weeks in our preaching schedule, we remember that the focus, as Maggie was saying, was on the triumphal entry. In fact, in Mark 11, in fact, Mark 11 through chapters 16, a third of the entire gospel has to do with the last week in the life of Jesus. And we call it Holy Week. Mark 11 told us of that entry an ancient ticker tape parade with Jesus riding on a donkey, not a float. Garments were placed in his path. The palm branches were waving just like our children showed us this morning. And the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The proclamation itself was full of messianic overtones. The way of saying that Jesus was the coming king. The focus was Jesus. And yet today, we're going to see that that king is rejected. Rejected by the religious establishment. Rejected by the civil authorities. And rejected by the people. Well, after the triumphal entry, Jesus cleansed the temple... He was the focus and the central figure in that story. Then in chapter 12, he spoke to them in parables. He was questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, and he was their focus. Chapter 13, Jesus, the teacher, rabbi, teaches many different things. And then in chapter 14, he was the focus as he was anointed with perfume in preparation for his burial. He shared the Passover meal, the Last Supper, with his disciples. He became the focus as he foretold that he would be broken and poured out for them. And then after that meal, in Mark 14, verse 26, we're told that they sang a hymn and went out across the valley to the Garden of Gethsemane at the foot 
of the Mount of Olives. Jesus there told his disciples that they would fall away. And Peter typically said, Jesus, truly, I will not fall away. But Jesus told him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he emphatically says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing, we're told, all of the disciples. We'll see more of this story in just a minute. Pete, last week, told us about the perfect storm which Jesus entered. Jesus agonized in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus being the focus of and greatly feared by the religious authorities was betrayed and arrested. The cheering indeed has stopped. We come now to today's passage right after the arrest and taking Jesus back across the valley. The trials of Jesus begin now. Hear the word of God from Mark 14, beginning in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So the members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious ruling council, were soliciting reliable testimony. But we are told that they found none. They found testimony, but twice we're told that it was false testimony and that the testimony simply did not agree. There was no reliable, corroborating testimony. Now, many of you love legal thrillers by book or by movie, and there's always that dramatic moment when the defendant is called to the witness stand. What's the defendant going to say? Well, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus had already had one hearing before Annas a prior high priest. So now Jesus is before Caiaphas, the present high priest, the acting judge. And he turns to Jesus. And in effect, he's putting him on the witness stand. Hear God's word, verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is questioned by the high priest, and initially he remains silent. Caiaphas pushes, and he asks more directly, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And in this response, Jesus claims to be the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus also says that he is the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of God and coming. These two descriptions of himself come from Daniel 7 and Psalm 110. And the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin knew immediately that Jesus was claiming deity and inferring that he is coming again and he will do so as the ultimate judge. Tim Keller points out the enormity of what he calls this reversal. Here is the coming judge of the world actually being judged by the world. When Jesus claims to be the Messiah and the coming judge, there is an eruption, a near riot. Hear God's word, verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Some were spitting and hitting Jesus. Jesus had become such the focus of the religious leaders that everything was going crazy. Well, what is going on in this trial is highly irregular. The trial before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas took place in the courtyard of the high priest's home rather than in the temple where it was supposed to be. So the place was irregular. Also, the timing was irregular because it was early morning before sunrise, even though a trial at nighttime was unlawful. And additionally, the haste, the rush to judgment was not allowed in trials. Jesus was such a focus, such a big deal that they broke their own laws. Caiaphas, enraged by the response of Jesus, charges Jesus with blasphemy. It's clear that the religious authorities reject Jesus. And here in the story, the camera switches from Jesus back to Peter, who had followed the crowd from the Garden of Gethsemane all the way across the valley to the house of Caiaphas. Hear God's word in verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. 
And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Here Jesus is standing strong under the interrogation of the highest authorities. And here Peter is being confronted by a servant girl twice and then by the bystanders and he crumbles. It happened exactly like Jesus said it would. The word of Jesus is true down to every detail. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter then sees himself needy before the Holy One, and he broke down and he wept. The word of Jesus can always be trusted because Jesus can always be trusted. Now, if you want to read the rest of the story, let me encourage you this week to go to John 21 and read what happened after the resurrection with Peter and Jesus. But after this glimpse, glimpse into what was happening with Peter, we're back to the trial of Jesus as Caiaphas sends Jesus to Pilate, who was the Roman governor. He was the only one who could pronounce the death penalty. And we see here that the civil authorities also reject Jesus. Mark 15, verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Again, on the witness stand to Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so, or it is as you say. Then quietness, Jesus made no further answer. This amazed Pilate. Generally, defendants want to speak on their own behalf, to tell their side of the story, to clear their names. Well, we know from Luke 23 that Pilate, found out that Jesus was a Galilean and therefore really under the jurisdiction of Herod, the Tetrarch over Galilee. Now this is Herod Antipas, not the Herod the Great. Um, he's the one who is questioning Jesus now and he receives nothing but silence. Then Jesus, like a ping pong ball, is back before Pilate 
And we know from the other gospel writers that Pilate really does not want to get involved with this trial at all. Now, Pilate believes that there's a way out. Hear the word in verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barnabas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. What is Pilate going to do? He knows that Jesus is not guilty of the charges and that the Barabbas is indeed guilty. Well, verse 11 tells us, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The verdict is in. Pilate sees Jesus as having done no evil, but Pilate goes along with the crowd. Not only did the religious authorities reject Jesus, now the civil authorities also reject Jesus, and both do so in part because the people reject Jesus. The previous Sunday, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem being praised by the people. Four days later, the shouting continues, but the people are now shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified. Verse 16, verse 16 says this, and the soldiers led him away into the place that is, into the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him, hail king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Jesus is still the focus. The people continue their rejection of the king with foul abuse and ridicule, mocking and humiliating Jesus, the king of the universe is being bullied and abused. Being rejected is one of the hardest things in the world. And it's one thing to be rejected by the religious authorities, and it's one thing to be rejected by the civil authorities. And it was another thing altogether to be rejected by the people. Even Peter had rejected him. 
The people had just celebrated his entry into the city. They had been flocking to hear him in his teaching and to experience his healing. Why and how did everyone come to the point of rejection? Verse 10 told us that the chief priests handed Jesus over because of their envy. But I think there's one more thing going on here also. There was fear. The leaders feared that their power and position and status quo were all going to be shaken and changed. The heart of sinful people was revealed when looking at the holiness of the Messiah, the Christ. They looked in a mirror and they saw themselves. It's the Judas which Chuck described a couple weeks ago. There's a story told from early last century of a missionary who had an African chief visiting in his home. And outside on a tree was a small mirror. The chief looked at the glass, having never seen a mirror before. And he was scared to death. And he said, who is that horrible looking person inside that tree? The missionary explained that it was not inside the tree. The glass was a mirror reflecting his own face. And the chief did not understand, but he wanted to have the mirror. Long story short, the, the missionary gave the mirror to him. And the chief immediately took the mirror and he threw it down on the ground and smashed it. And he said, I will never have it making faces at me again. Looking into the face of Jesus, seeing his power and his holiness reveals the condition and the character of the human heart. And the authorities, along with the people, did not want to look more into the face of Jesus. So what did they all do but reject the king? We look at Jesus and we see the difference between him and us. We see our own condition, sinful and needy, in front of holiness and righteousness and pure love. We look at the people and we can see ourselves. The story continues today. And the question for us, will we continue to reject the King, the Messiah? You and I might say that we would never reject him, but then we simply ignore him which is a close cousin to rejecting him. Our other option is to embrace the Savior, the one who came to purchase our salvation. The cousin to embracing is trusting in the Lord. We look into the face of the Lord Jesus and know that when he looks at us, he sees us as precious in his sight as redeemed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. In conclusion, King Jesus, rejected by the religious authorities, rejected by the civil authorities, 
rejected by the people, even Peter and the disciples. After all of this rejection, which Jesus experienced, we might expect that he would lash out and reject us and reject all of the people. But the opposite happens. That is what this week, Holy Week, is all about. Jesus was rejected, but he responded in love. Curses were hurled at him, and he responds with words of blessing. Jesus was beaten, but he responded by delivering himself. Jesus was spit upon, but he freely spilled his own blood for you and me. Upon what ground do you and I stand today? Some of us are still trying to stand in our own righteousness, but we have none apart from Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus and to stand on that solid rock, clinging to him. As we stand on that rock, it will change everything. Some of us have someone we need to forgive. That person may be long gone, or that person may be seated in the same room with you right now. Jesus did not come so that things would stay the same. Some of us even think at times nobody could heal this situation. Well, I'm here this morning to tell you, Jesus changes everything. Jesus restores and redeems and makes all things new. Look into his face this week, embracing the king, trusting him on Christ, the solid rock I stand. The coronavirus, our focus for weeks, yes, that one thing has changed everything for some period of time. May Jesus be our overriding focus, the one thing. Since the world focused on Jesus 2,000 years ago, the world has never been the same. For Jesus changes everything forever. Let us pray together. Our Father, we ask this morning that you would come into our lives and do something big. Father, something good and powerful in our lives. Something that would be honoring to you. Father, please do not let us live with our envies or our fears or our selfishness or our hurts. Help us grant the same love that we have experienced to others this day, this week. Father, some of us think that we know what the other person should do, but give us grace to start with ourselves. Break us, melt us, mold us, shape us for your glory, for the good of our families and the family of God and this world in which we live. Father, we have no foundation in and of ourselves upon which to stand. Give us the desire, the wisdom, the grace to stand
upon the solid foundation of the Lord Jesus. For we pray in his powerful name. Amen.